0: what's up welcome to a new episode of movie schmovie this is episode 372 my name is steve i'm one of the co-hosts and uh just like in every episode i'm joined by ron and john the guy who needs non-reflective
1: lenses if he's gonna wear his yeah readers. like yeah that's that's a, that's a good looking <laughs> that's distracting isn't it <laughs>
0: <laughs> to do this and wear cool. yeah, them yeah. on the tip of your nose grandpa right yes like so I'm computer eyes. I'm trying the whole yeah. episode, I'm going to be trying to read what's on your screen right. through your yeah, lenses. Cool. Like what is? Well, John you'll be able to tell when right I click now. off of the zoom. You're like, oh, he's just <laughs> yeah, reading his yeah, email. Yeah, yeah. I see the squares. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, this is going to be a fun episode. Um, we have a this week's pick for required viewing was John's pick from last week, which is a a new leaf, which we'll talk about in just a moment. And then uh the real feature episodes for this week's episode of the podcast are going to be, um. For Ben Affleck, uh his has a new film out this week called Air. Or actually, it comes out next week, but we're allowed to talk about it a little early. Um, because uh yeah, embargoes open on that because it premiered at South by Southwest. Um, and then we're also gonna be talking about Taryn Edgerson's new film, which is on Apple TV Plus today called Tetris. Um, and then I'm sure we have some little sprinkles towards the end that we'll mention as well. But let's get into this week's required viewing. John, remind us about your pick and uh let's talk about it.
1: Well, um, uh, I picked a movie, uh, a comedy from 1971 that I had heard about for years and was kind of a blind spot for me as a fan of both writer, director and co-star Elaine May and uh, a big fan of uh, Walter Matthau, who's like one of those actors that. You might just think I'm just going to do a Mathal watch, you know. You might just pick yeah. his movie. He's he's I, like if he was working today in this in this prime that we see him in in this movie. I think he would be one of those actors that we talk about like, oh, what's this next thing going to be? And he's just a reliable guy. And um, you know, I knew that this movie had some things about it that were that were a little broad and also a little bit uh, like a, kind of it's a bantery comedy with a lot of you know funny dialogue, which we kind of expect from Elaine May because that's sort of how she cut her teeth. Uh, getting into the business she and mike nichols uh, were a highly influential comedy team and it was very much two-hander you know skits sketches that they would do together um that were built around this very funny repartee so there's like a, there's like a lot of absurd humor in her stuff and also as, as an ishtar apologist that's you know her writer and director effort as well writing and directing effort um that is like a famous Uh, a failure because of how much it cost you know not necessarily the movie itself although the movie is is like you know uh uh awkward in some ways but like i think that she's just a person who has a particular brand of humor and like the first 10-15 minutes of ishtar is some of the funniest stuff i've ever seen and that's where her humor shines in that but she's just another kind of comedic voice that because of her slightly excessive and and mysterious ways she hasn't made a lot of movies she's only directed a few movies over all these years but you know she pops up in odd places and she's always very funny and uh yeah i knew this was supposed to be one of those 70s movies that had a lot of character and and kind of felt modern maybe to a modern audience in some ways in terms of the things it's getting at um i felt a little bit of like wes anderson in this um yeah uh you know in different directors i was like oh I, some people definitely have watched this movie um but yeah so for me it was like i said a little bit of a blind spot and i thought it would be fun after the incredible bleakness of our last movie that we watched which was that uh, palm trees and power, yes. lines? power lines um yeah. it, it would be fun to watch something that was that was perhaps funny and and light and i didn't know how dark this movie was going to be but i was sort of pleased that it had a had a sweet heart um you know, to be found within it, even though it does start off as this incredibly vicious character portrait of this useless man <laughs> this completely useless trust fund baby who has mismanaged his life. um but yeah, I, I guess I would throw it to you guys since all of us have seen this for the first time, I think in this in this viewing um what what did this movie? was this on your radar at all, and what did you think of it, Ronald?
2: yeah I'd never heard of it. um I like Walter to um. I think I think about him the 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 grandpa, or gramp, grumpy old it? man, grumpy old man. He really made me happy watching those movies and Dennis the Menace.
0: Yeah,
2: um, was so good in that. So mm. I hadn't really seen a bunch of his older movies, so I was I was excited to see him as a young man because he's he, like he's he he's like. Um, What's his name? He's like fifty something in this movie. Yeah, right. He, and but, he, but he also is a guy who always looked
1: fifty something. You know, I yes. feel like when he was ten, he yeah. probably looked fifty something.
2: He's, he's Morgan. He's a white Morgan Freeman. And that, <laughs> if you look at Morgan Freeman when he was supposed to be young, you're yeah. like he was like clearly forty five at this point right. when he was supposed to be twenty. But, um, but yeah, I I was very excited to see it, and he came through, man. Like, like the, the these comedy notes that he got was kind of. Ex- expecting he did a little more than that. He, he, he had a lot of like range and he he apparently does a bunch of voices, like the voices that he was doing Mm kind of surprised me as well. But um, it was fun. I enjoyed it. What about you? I mean, I'm
0: in in a similar boat. Like I, I think (laughs) I maybe had heard about this movie only because of Elaine May and, you know, the stars of the movie and it kind of being a movie that I feel like I've seen on some lists of like comedies that, you know, you need to see that are like I, I, all time type things, but um, I've never seen it. And uh, yeah, I feel like the same way. I, I don't know that I've ever d- like took it a dive into the the like 70s era Matthau, uh even 80s stuff. Like, I, I, don't, I don't really think I, like, I've seen many of those movies outside of, I don't know, like the Odd Couple or something like that. But yeah, my generation or, the, of, you know, my exposure during my, you know, growing up, it was more of you know the stuff that came out in the 90s you know things like a lot of the jack lemon stuff the grumpy old man grumpy you're out to Sea, like those comedies that came out when he was you know know, he was probably what i guess in his 70s or so at that point i guess but yeah i don't know i always like really liked him and i remember my grandfather always thought he was really great and funny and any exposure that i had to any of those older films were definitely through my grandparents but uh yeah i mean i I kind of it's funny you said that wes anderson thing because like he's kind of come up this week, a few times and talking about like the trailer for his new film, Asteroid City, which I think looks great. And um, I, I also got a, a little bit of that vibe from this movie, too. Uh, I kind of was thinking about that during the movie. Um, but, yeah, I thought it was really good. I mean, it's it, it feels not to say like, you know, not to be cliche about it, but I, I know one of her other films, I think it was Heartbreak Kid or one mm-hmm. of them, like it got a remake, you know, Uh, This movie feels like it's whether you wherever you fall on that idea, like kind of prime for a remake. You know i feel like this movie like it's pretty relevant today and you know even well some the, the commentary
1: theme, but- on on a useless a profoundly useless rich person i feel like yes, today would exactly. have a special cutting quality to it because this guy is just like crashing into the real world you know he never really yeah. has to but there's that moment when he comes out at, at the beginning and he hits the street and he just i'm poor yeah, <laughs> yeah. he's going around I'm he's going around saying goodbye I, to um to all the like love- affectations of, of a rich person's life i thought that was really funny
0: I just feel like that disconnectedness like that, the, the scene with the banker is probably one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Oh, that was great. You know, just like how that banker's like, how, he's like, you know, like the capital, <laughs> the money, the cash. Yeah. How else can I say this? I <laughs> know oh, that's, that's everything I can say. Like I, I actually dry. wound Perfectly it and dry. watched that yeah. scene a couple of yeah, times. Really like, good. That scene was so good. And Matt, was incredible in that. Just like how just out of touch he is with the concept of what's being like Something that He's run out of money. His, his, so his accountant nothing.
1: or his, his financial lawyer or whatever yeah. that guy was is telling him you're basically out of money. But he, he's being so gently condescending about it. And Steve, it's funny yeah. that you mentioned like a remake, Steve, because in my mind, I was like, who does this guy remind me of? And I think it's it's John Hodgman. I think that I could oh, see yeah. John Hodgman playing that part of just really dry, very like gently sarcastic, but just kind of wanting relishing this moment to tell this guy what you think before he's gone from your life forever, maybe. Yes. Um, but the way he told him, like, I only helped you this far so that I could tell myself that it was, you know, no <laughs> that, fault that of I my did own. everything. Yeah. Um, but I mean, <laughs> yeah, so this guy's out of money and he picks this woman that he's going to marry. And very quickly, I just loved how he's so useless. Very quickly he goes to I have to murder someone for their money. Like, there's no chance that he's just gonna get a job yeah, right. and and I think, I mean, we're talking a lot about Walter Mathel because it's definitely that character's movie. But yeah. Elaine May even played the character of Henrietta out of wanting, she said, because the studio wanted Carol Channing. And Elaine May said, no, we need someone who's going to disappear. It's about the man overpowering this woman in a way. So right. we need a woman who kind of disappears. And I th- it's I think she nailed the tone. I mean, there was something about Henrietta that I never felt fully sorry for because she was yeah. such a quirky individual. And I think that it helps. The movie could seem kind of mean-spirited, I think, if Elaine May didn't bring a certain sort of of her own kind of obliviousness to Henrietta, you sure. know? um but also that she's really smart and i think that that's something that comes through and that might be what uh what kind of wins him over to the extent that he gets won over by her is the fact that she's she's smart and she's a person who may has you know even if small accomplishment that she has in this film but at least she accomplishes something which is something he's never done um i thought that was just kind of a funny turn of events
0: yeah no i mean If anything, I feel like if anything seems a little it's kind of subtle in terms of like how, you know, this forced marriage or this rushed marriage for his benefit, like ends up actually benefiting him in ways that is beyond money. You know, like I, I like the idea of like when he gets into her world, he sees like, you know, how. Much she's being taken advantage of beyond just the fact that he's taking advantage of her the right. most out of anybody, you know. And he's like trying to help in ways that he—he's like, don't drain himself. her money.
1: I need that right. money, but right. but then and, it kind of turns
0: and, into something else, right? And yeah, it turns into a you know a quote unquote lesson for him, you know. So that all kind of how that ramps up, I thought was pretty fun. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I I like the moment, like you know, when they're in the river and he kind of sees the fern and. Like, it's like that, It's like, like something clicks, you know? It's like, oh, I I care about this Fern, so I care about this woman. I don't know. That all worked pretty well for me. I mean, again, I don't really have much awareness of a lot of the cast in this movie. I mean, beyond, like, the stars that they are, especially Mathow. But seeing some other faces pop up of people that I recognize. Doris Roberts um, from from Everybody Loves Raymond. Uh, Did you see see
1: Philip Drummond there? He was in one scene. Mr. Drummond from from Different Strokes was...
0: Yeah, yeah, I was in hmm. the background at the wedding, right? I think so. I think that's where he was. Yeah, I think I saw him in there too. Um, And James Coco playing the uncle. This is like a fun movie, man
1: was great. I love the uncle scene where he's just this kind of like gluttonous guy the whole time but you could tell he too like the lawyer is sort of taking pleasure in this guy's you know downfall. Um, yeah. Uh, one other thing I just wanted to mention just from a filmmaking standpoint before we move on from this is that the way that Elaine May made, made her movies frequently the reason that she ran over budget because this movie was budgeted at like 1.8 million and supposedly went up to 4 million. It made five wow. so it wasn't a flop but she just shoots and shoots and shoots and shoots and then kind of finds it in the edit and there was originally like an hour longer version of this that supposedly did get into like murders Whoa. and characters dying and
0: stuff. And the studio and took like it away him from him killing people for her, right? Yeah, I think yeah. so. I think so. You yeah. can see yeah, how the, I read an could... article about like how he had poisoned two people. Yeah, because there's scenes in there where he's reading about like poisons, right? and like he ends up like killing two people like well, you to can save picture her. the people that
1: yeah. he could kill like i think her lawyer who had a crush on her yeah. felt like he's a prime candidate for getting killed and one of those yeah. uh uh workers from her house that he gets rid of seems like they would be too exactly but but either way it, it, like supposedly the studio took it away and edited it down and everybody at the studio was really happy with it but elaine may was uh, sort of shut out and has never really. I don't know if she ever has acknowledged the film. She's always said that her version would be better. But I think that's interesting that someone would shoot a comedy and overshoot like that. And you know, Judd Apatow, is someone who's put out like a two and a half hour comedy that you think oh, yeah. this could have been tightened up a little. But right. I do think it's interesting to think the tone of this movie could have been so different. And it's that rare case. A lot of critics even said this, where you might side with the studio taking somebody's movie away because this movie doesn't feel like it needs another hour, and it doesn't feel like it needs a lot of dark stuff to complicate the the. The very dark idea already that this guy's first thought is let me find somebody to kill um yeah. anyway yeah I, I was very i was happy to have finally kind of crossed this off the list and um it got me thinking about that walter Matthau. there's definitely some you know taking Capellum one two three there's some yeah. things like that that i think would be fun movies to revisit so i might i might dive into some Matthau town
0: Math cool. town, that, that's the channel and uh <laughs> that, that should be one of the rows in like netflix or whatever it's the right, jowliest downtown. town in the world yeah, yeah. the so most jowl- hangdog jowl- town that ever there was yeah. Uh, uh yeah i was just want to mention real quick for anybody that if if you didn't get to watch this uh pick with us for this episode and you want to watch it just as a reminder uh, i watched it on pluto tv it's on there for free pluto tv is entirely free there are ads you know they're pretty brief it doesn't doesn't feel pretty i did not feel disruptive to me um but if you want to check it out for free it is on uh it's on Pluto TV mm. I,
1: the the version i saw i believe was remastered it was really looked great i don't know i don't know what I mean, this is a 1970s movie and it definitely still had the graininess and the kind of, you know, um, the like the, that kind of hacked together quality of the film that I was suggesting it might have from the way that she shoots movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it did, you know, it looked really, really good, too. So I yeah. think that, um, yeah. you know, there's there's an opportunity to really enjoy the way this looks. I don't know if it looks good on.
0: uh you said pluto it looked it looked great on pluto okay, yeah it was, cool. i don't know what version it is but it looked really good i'm glad they're
1: using i would somehow i would think that they would not be using like the the best versions of stuff but it seems like they right. they whenever i've watched something on there it usually has been up to the resolution i would want because i'm you know somewhat picky about that on my big television i'll watch something on my computer that's not high res but right, on right. television i don't really want to watch a movie and not enjoy the way it looks so So Pluto's a great option. It just adds what twenty minutes, maybe, to your view time because of the commercials. Not even, not even that,
0: man. Like I think each commercial is only like barely thirty seconds, Mm. and there was only like maybe six or seven. I feel like that really paid attention to. It was it was very brief. It was not. They probably
1: put more in in properties that are (laughs) that are more highly regarded. So maybe if if something's kind of deep catalog like this. Um. Anyway, so uh, whose turn is it, Ronald? Is it your pick, Ronald? Ronald. Uh, Yes. Where are you going to um, take us, out Town or somewhere else?
2: <laughs> I'm going to take you guys to India. Ooh. Um, fresh off of the RRR buzz, I've been hearing about this movie. People have been talking about fucking, like, fucking mad. And then I hear that it came to Amazon Prime. It is 2023's Patan. It is a combination, like, you know, heightened action, has some singing in it but fresh off of rrr this is supposed to be one of those ones that isn't rooted in anything quite as uh historical or political but still has kind of the feel of the action uh baton it's spelled p-a-t-h-a-a-n um it is on amazon prime and i think they have like the director's cut on there which may incentivizes people seeing it on there as opposed to like maybe buying it on iTunes or renting it on iTunes. But um I've heard incredible things about it. Um all my like real movie nerd friends that are into action have been bringing it up a ton and I'm like I'm I'm, I'm kind of like you guys. I'm, I'm I'm making an excuse to kind of put yeah. this in the middle of everything to watch it. That's and I cool. didn't I didn't quite get to catch RRR but this feels like a little more my speed. You know, since it's not like historical, no offense to history, but something a little <laughs> more light. You know take, note, I mean? like, I, take note, listeners. Take note, listeners. I would think Ron that... is
0: anti-history.
1: I would think that RRR so our, our, our <laughs> would be historical in a way that is so... It's so not... I mean, I think it's so heightened, and I don't think it would hit those period movie things that you don't like the... You know what I mean, Ronald? I know some of your. Mm, yeah, I don't mm, always know exactly what you mean, but I'm just saying. In this case, I've I've heard you talk about you know period pieces and how they leave you cold sometimes. I feel yeah. like RRR doesn't really feel like a period. Like there's moments of it, it no, where it, it does yeah. it, where it almost feels like a Baz Luhrmann movie or something like it, that where it's like it's it, kind of yes. abandoning like yeah. a strict uh, you know uh, period piece feel. But anyway, oh, yeah. so yes, that's awesome. I love this mix we're getting with these. Yeah, years.
2: man, I'm excited about it. I've be, I've literally like my friends have literally. I've, it's it's one of the. Things I've seen outside of the mainstream releases, I've seen it like four times in the last uh like three days or so. So I'm like, well, oh, I'll give that baton a a pass. Let's see what this is about. Let's 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 put it through the ringers. And it's two and a half hours, you know, that's a lot, but it'll be nice. And it apparently sounds incredible. So that's another cool reason to watch. so okay. All right, cool. i have to listen to it as well. Let's watch it. Yeah. <laughs> all right so um
0: uh let's move on to i guess let's let's talk air because it's kind of the the you know not in theaters this weekend but this is more of a heads up of a movie coming out next week yeah comes out on april 5th uh which uh you know is a wednesday release holiday week um this is the new film from um ben affleck Starring Matt Damon, uh, Ben Affleck, uh, Viola Davis, Jason Bateman, Affleck. Chris Messina, uh, Jay Moore, it's a, a bunch of uh, Chris Chris Tucker, Marlon Wayans. I don't know, just a really great cast. But this is just basically the story of uh, the deal between Nike and or the efforts for Nike to sign Michael Jordan to a shoe contract uh, and establish and really kind of you know, set the mark for what their basketball division would be and the brand of the company in general would be uh, in the years and decades to come. But this is a film that, you know, again, April 5th, it hits theaters. Before we even talk about the movie, I just wanted to mention quickly that it is an interesting topic of conversation because this is a movie that is getting a standard theatrical release. I would mentioned April 5th in theaters everywhere wide, um, and it's coming out from Amazon. So Amazon, obviously, the streaming platform, among many other things, but it's unique in the sense that they are going with a wide release for a movie that will eventually be on their streaming platform. It will be on Amazon prime video, but it's getting like an exclusive theatrical window and it's important or interesting because, you know, I think they're kind of trying to set a standard of what it can look like for these streamers to play nice with theatrical, for these movies to have a chance to make money in a theater, to market themselves, pass the theater over to the streaming platform know if it is a hit and uh you know kind of set a precedent for things like what apple tv or apple in general i'm sorry announced recently with some of their original titles like killers of the flower moon they said they're going to do the similar thing with later this year and i'm sure many other movies but um this is kind of one of the first ones um that they're kind of doing this with uh where it's going to be in the theater for a protected period of time Um, i don't know the exact days but i i think i've read somewhere between 30 and 45 um And then it'll be on Amazon Prime. But I'm sure that's kind of the prime window for a movie to make their make its money, especially a movie like this. Even though, you know, I I do think that a movie like this could could really develop a word of mouth uh, and, and kind of stay in theaters for a little bit. But just as a point, because we talk about streaming all the time, we talk about what this theatrical world looks like now. This is a unique release. You know, this is a movie, again, that Amazon's marketing as a movie that will be on Prime. But everything that you see right now says see it in theaters it's theatrical right. it's it's only in theaters april 5th but then on may whatever it'll be <laughs> on your box at home and you can watch it for the first time or again um but spoiler alert i think we'd all probably say go see this movie in theaters if it if it interests you at all um john what did you think of air i want you to kick it off i mean you know i i am not a
1: sports guy i am not a, i'm i mean i like uh i like shoes Mm -hmm. but i'm not necessarily like deep into the my son's into into nikes and air jordans and uh so i have a you know i have had a couple of those those retro reissues around my house and i've been able to kind of look at that shoe and think about the design of it but so but i come into this movie very cold in that in that sense not cold like yeah turned off to it but i come into this movie not I, i you know and i also think even in this movie as much as i can see that it's earned and it's a big part of what this movie's trying to grapple with that that sort of hero worship of michael jordan also always kind of makes me go "Eh," it's like people give into it a little too much like when the sappy music kicks in and we're just talking about how great the guy is but i understand how important he was and how he really was one of those once in a lifetime uh you know performers artists you know athletes whatever you want to call these people who become larger than life so i came into this going i this movie that doesn't have to like do a lot to make me like it but it it did have to have something going for it other than the you know the story of nike or the story of michael jordan or whatever i didn't know quite what mix we were going to get you know and, sure. and i and what i what i liked and in some moments really loved about this movie was that it had these very old-fashioned attributes as a movie like good acting good dialogue um scenes that are allowed to play out between characters and a lot of two-person scenes where you just get to live and breathe in the in the characters world for a minute. Um and it did one other thing that I really love for this type of movie is uh is what we talked about coming out of it is it focused on the thing that it's about it didn't try to spin out and go into everybody's backstory and everybody's personal lives and it didn't it didn't lose its focus on the deal that was made between Nike and Michael Jordan or his family to um to you know put his name on a shoe and to design a shoe for him like this these these two things working together to help each other and then at the end of the movie the the numbers that they throw up on the screen make you yeah. realize why this is interesting and important even if, even if you're not into sports, even if you're not into yeah. shoes, the fact that this is a four billion uh, dollar a year <clears throat> industry business that this shoe line uh, yeah. is insane, and also it's a you know it makes it makes it fruitful for this type of movie to say like, well, what was that decision making process like? So I, I yeah, I really enjoyed the um, just the time spent watching actors act opposite each other when the stakes aren't super high this whole thing about a shoe but so a little bit life or death career stuff for, for some of these characters it feels like there's stakes but it yeah. didn't overblow that stuff either it just really made it about the deal and you got to appreciate the sort of there's a little bit of that when someone does a period piece thing and they have people saying well that'll never catch on and it's something that we all know caught on you know but it, it yeah. that's at a minimum it's mostly about like The kind of, it's like, dare I say it, like the process or the creative process or whatever that is, this process, I guess it's a creative process when a shoe company approaches a a, a sports a star you know um i thought it was interesting right. i love movies that dig into process like that it's like watching a heist film or something like that where it's all about watching people come up with a plan and then execute it you know yeah um so i yeah i really i enjoyed the heck out of it if it's not obvious <clears throat> yeah no what about i you, thought Ron? chris messina was insanely great like he may have been the, the guy who stole the movie in some
2: some ways um well, the one thing I'll say is shorthand. Sure That's the first thing that comes to my head. This feels like this was done with a very shorthand. Sure I'm a, for context. Uh, by force, I was a sports fan. My dad was obsessed with sports. He had like a encyclopedic memory of things. I've seen Michael Jordan play twice. Uh, once with the uh, when the bullets. Uh, D.C. was a the <laughs> Washington Bullets. I. And then we stayed to watch him walk out. And I screamed his name. Uh, and then uh, Wizards, when he had come back, I screamed his name in a crowd. And he turned around and looked hey, at kid. me, I guess, to say something. <laughs> and I didn't say anything. And he's just like, what the fuck with you? He's yelling at me like that for him. It's really, really crazy. Yeah, why'd you
1: get my attention if you have nothing to say? Countless <laughs> Yeah, congratulations my name.
2: <laughs> countless pairs of Jordans. Countless pairs of Jordans. But what... But the reason why he's so important is he's he's one of the few people whose um persona, the the shroud of like mystery and and greatness, really matched up. You know, it's yeah. one of the few things where you could hear about how great a person was. You're like he's not that great, and then watch him play. And then he exceeds that and then he hangs in the air for a couple more seconds than you expect him to. Um, but what I did like about this movie that it didn't it didn't focus on that so much as the cultural impact, which is really cool. Which yeah. is like a man who sees greatness in another man who sees like, you know, I don't want to give it away, but the scene where he realizes why he was so great is yeah. some of the conversations I would have with my dad growing up where he'd say like he sees this play before he, he's coming down like he he read the play already I'm like what and then he goes whoa, 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 yeah. and then dunks on him I'm like oh what the fuck was that he's like if you paid attention his body went that way but right. his eyes went that I was just like oh my god so you know you see obsessive in that and Even if I don't understand that, I understand passion. And that's one of the things that I gravitate towards. Like, you don't I don't ever have to understand what it is that you are passionate about. But the emotion, right, the feelings, you know, seeing a man who believed in another person or an idea and sacrificed is is what I remember feeling the first time I went on stage, the first time I ever heard something I made before or saw something I did before. And like, Oh man, that's a, that's a tangible thing. You know, you guys make music. So you made something, you're like, Oh my God, like from your brain to, to it coming out. It's just like, it's sorcery. It's magic. It's a magic that not everybody's able to access. So, you know, they, they, they say that's rare air, you know? So when you see somebody that that sees that in another person, and he might be the Michael Jordan of recruiting, you know, right? That's weird that that becomes a term. That's the Michael Jordan of the Michael Jordan. You even say it about good things and bad things, which is even crazier. The the, the cultural zeitgeist that he he's he's in is just incredible, and this movie does a really good job without even shoving his image down our throat of helping us understand, you know, the business of it because it is a business and there are some things that are used to manipulate you. I remember watching that commercial when Michael Jordan dunked and everybody stopped and people's milk fell down. And you remember that? Like the, yeah, that yeah, yeah, iconic yeah. commercial. That's how we all felt. But in order to do that, somebody has to see that in another person. I Okay. Last Last thing I'm going to say. I remember when I worked at Under Armour. They picked up this scrawny little kid from Stevenson named Stephen Curry. And I remember when he when when they threw his name around, there are people like, who the fuck is Stephen Curry? What is he going to do? I don't understand why we're just picking right. random dudes that go, that like Golden State Warriors. And then he made shots without looking at the, the well, well,
1: don't you think they're they're commenting on that, Ronald, with the guy at the um the guy who works at the convenience store, who's a friendly guy and seems you know like he keeps up with sports. But what he says about Michael Jordan at first is like no one's worth that, you know, it's never going to be. Yeah. And then later he's like, we always knew, you know what I mean. But it's like <laughs> yeah. that's I mean I'm not being a sports fan, I can tell that that's part of the the fun of it sort of is like there's a lot of predicting and being wrong and then embracing somebody that you used to hate because they did something awesome or they different team or whatever, you know, different, different times. So I think that, that the, it does tap into that, but don't you think it's interesting, Ronald, that like this movie doesn't delve into the fans, the the sports, the, you know what I mean? The drama is almost entirely like, behind the scenes in this very specific way that is like now you just take it for granted that this kind of deal gets made but this was like yeah you were talking about the michael jordan of sports uh scouting or whatever but i mean we're supposed to they they, they mentioned several times in this movie that matt damon's character is a kind of a visionary in what he's doing like what was what was he someone you were aware of as part of the michael jordan myth before this was that someone who you had thought a lot about like and You know, did it seem like a movie was due about this person? Because that was the other thing I kept thinking was like, does this really warrant a movie? By the time it got to the end, I was like, yeah, it does. But I didn't know if going into it, if you had more of an understanding of like the personalities behind it.
2: I forget the name of the documentary, but there's a documentary about how he basically invaded high school and college sports and put a Nike shoe on everybody's foot. So like, you know,
1: performance
2: is synonymous with Nike after a while. You're like, oh God, like, if this high school kid has it and this person has it, they just gave them away and then eventually you know have Nike Nike games and things like that to the point where like it's it's so special now to hear Nike and somebody being chosen to be a Nike athlete that it's like it's like a torch being passed on to somebody it's like the baton being passed um but that but that's even I'd like talk- I don't, I don't know. I know the one you're talking about.
0: I think yeah, I've actually yeah, seen that documentary. Yeah. It's, it's not a 30 for 30, is it? It might be. I think it might be. It, it might be. I think, I, I don't know. I it definitely I'm... sounds familiar. But I don't know. I feel like the, the interesting part, like what you're talking about right now, like in terms of, well, specifically with Nike, you know, like there's a lot of discussion in the movie about Nike's inability to to like kind of break into basketball, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of sponsorships or licensing or any kind of like endorsement deal. And I think the movie does a really great job in kind of framing like Nike's history, like how much it took for Nike to get where it was and really what Nike's bread and butter was versus something like Adidas or like, you know, what the culture was really going after at the time. And even the scene with Chris Tucker where he's explaining why, you know, Adidas is what it is and like why Mm -hmm. the, 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 young players coming into the league want to be with adidas because like, it's beyond the sport you know like it's yeah. it's a music thing it's a culture thing it's like it's a part of the, the you know the youth um quote unquote of the time but i think the movie does a really great job of that in terms of how sunny matt damon's character really played a part in you know forcing nike to not just be nike You know, to not not really kind of do what Phil Knight seemed to be wanting to do or even Rob, like a lot of the executives were kind of like, I don't want to say they were satisfied because obviously they were trying to find new draft picks. They were looking at, you know, picks five through 20 and like, you know, they had that whole scene where they're randomly picking who they think they can get. But I think that was a really interesting part of the story, which is just that not only is Sonny a part of getting Michael Jordan to Nike, but he's also a part of getting Nike outside of a comfort zone that 100%. maybe would have never allowed nike to become the nike that it was in our teens and even what it is now to you know a team like john's son you know it's like it's, it it really became above and beyond what i think they probably ever thought it could be and the irony in it all is that you know a big part of this movie and i think what john mentioned earlier on about like this idea of like it's not a biopic, but it's like telling a very specific part of a, of a person's story of a, of a a business's story of a sports history story. You know, it's very focused on this one event, but the one event has a bunch of different layers to it in terms of how it affected um, the sport, the culture, the business. And I love the idea of like how much emphasis there is. And it's kind of like, it's kind of like a, um, I like how it kind of comes in last minute and almost blows the whole thing up. But just this idea about, you know, an athlete or somebody being sponsored or endorsed getting a share of every shoe that is yeah. sold that their name or their eventually their likeness is on when they change the Air, Lord or Air Jordan logo in the years to come. You know, that whole concept is is kind of received as just like silly, you know, even to Sunny, It's like, I get what you're saying, but that's just yeah. not how it works um so i love that stuff in the movie and i think that's all done so well and the scene with him and her on the phone discussing the value of that is a great sequence and it's shot really nicely like kind of bouncing back and forth between like their visual and physical like you know how uncomfortable he is even trying to explain why it's not that way i thought was really good um but that piece of it, it really kind of comes in at the end as a gotcha moment. Because, like you know, you know it's like that if you know the story at all. Right. You know what the precedent is in today's world. But at that time, to see how that idea was received, even after going after someone that you deem to be the greatest, you know, player there ever will be or whatever, you know, superlative he placed on Michael Jordan. But um yeah, I don't know. I, I love this movie. I think the acting and the performances are great. I think Matt Damon is probably better than he's been and and stuff that I've seen him in in a long time. Uh, in the movie. Him, he's got a really great monologue uh in the sequence, like when they're kind of pitching Jordan and his family on signing with Nike Nike that I kind of feel like will probably catch on and be quoted or, you know, become part of uh meme culture or, or whatever. Um it's got a lot of you know, good one liners in it, but um Jason Bateman's great. Ben Affleck's really good in it. And, and I, I said it to you guys after the movie, like, I I hope Ben Affleck just keeps directing stuff, too. Like, I really think he's yeah. a really great director. Um, And, you know, with them having their own production company now, I hope that is a part of what he does is, like, you know, developing and, and making more movies that they can be a part of and, you know, kind of give people a chance on. Um, But I, I this is a definite recommend for me. This is one of yeah. my favorite movies of the year so far. Yeah. Um, I definitely plan on trying to take Aaron to see this movie in theaters because she really was interested in seeing it um based on the trailers, um, okay. which are pretty good trailers, I think. But um
2: the Sonny Vaccaro docu- uh 30 for 30 is called The Soul Man.
0: Right, okay. right. That's it. Yep.
2: Yeah, soul oh. man. I thought it was it's a 30 really for 30, but yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's, a really right, it's a really good thirty one. for thirty, yeah. Yep. It's really good. Yeah. Apparently he just but, did an interview like not too long ago, like a uh, two days ago. Oh, was, because of
0: the movie, I guess.
2: Yeah, yeah. 83 years
0: old. Crazy. Yeah. But yeah, this is, again, this will be in theaters for at least a month or so. So you have an opportunity to check it out if it sounds interesting. If not, you can wait it out and it'll be on Amazon Prime eventually. But oh. again, it's called Air and it comes out next Wednesday if you're listening to this on uh, the day we release this. But that's April 5th at release. Uh, Ronald, why don't you tell us about Tetris a little bit?
2: Okay. So Tetris is a film. Uh, by Apple Studios about the gentleman, um Hank John Hank. am I, am I getting this name wrong? I feel like I yeah. always fuck names it's up Hank something. Hank
1: uh oh god they say it's about the gentleman that drops.
2: brought Tetris to it's the
1: Hank Rogers. Hank Rogers. Hank yeah, Rogers, yeah, because they say Mr. Rogers. I knew that that because yes. I noticed that every time they say Mr. Rogers. It made me think yeah. of
0: Mr. Rogers. Hank H-E-N-K,
1: not
2: yeah, A-N-K. Yes, <laughs> <Right. yes. laughs> yeah. It's about a gentleman that brought Tetris as we know it to the States and basically worked on the mass distribution of this. Uh, and in, for those who are like uh, historians, gaming historians, or uh, or existed back then, the way that I remember it being distributed was the Game Boy. That was the way that people had it. I mean, like it's, it's although the first time I ever saw it, my dad had it on. a. He worked for the state and had these big storage disks. They were like the size of a MacBook Pro. Mm. They were about this size. And Tetris and Qbert were on there. And I could not believe what I was playing. It was before I actually saw it everywhere. And it made me realize that things were distributed a little differently than I thought. I thought that like, when I think about the internet, I think about how quickly people could get things, but there were ways yeah. that things got across the world outside of uh, the internet back in the day. But yeah. it's about this journey to get this this game distributed uh, without any bloodshed. Uh, and there was there seemed to be a lot of, hyper violence to get to this game because people knew the value of it um yeah i
0: feel like i feel like eventually they they realized the value like in some cases they obviously didn't know it for (laughs) sure early on and then it became a whole uh game of who could get it first but you're right yeah i feel like i remember i I feel like i remember playing it on the game boy as well i feel like and that's kind of like that's really the the third act of this movie. It's the the big focus and and really what Hank Rogers, what I even my awareness of him was like that's a lot of what his like yeah. contribution or the what they you know kind of give him credit for was kind of negotiating that whole Game Boy deal or like the the whole handheld deal for, sure. for, sure. for Nintendo for you know this game and you know just what he did with Nintendo past that. But you know, he env- he ends up becoming like the guy who runs the Tetris Corporation, yeah. you know, with the with the Lexi, who's the creator of the game. But the movie is kind of like, you know, it's this it's another kind of like, how did this happen? You know, this kind of cultural moment of like a gaming system. And even for a company like Nintendo to like package a Game Boy with Tetris over Mario was kind of crazy at the time, you know, but that was like where they saw this game going. Yeah and the appeal of this game was, it seemed, and maybe in some ways is broader than Mario, but I mean, that's a matter of opinion, I guess, but uh, yeah, the movie just kind of focuses on the idea of like how this game was created briefly, but then more importantly, you know, the, the game itself around getting the rights to distribute this game, you know, Mm -hmm. and you know how the game changes over time a little bit. Um, Which I, you know, I, I, I I like that scene in the movie, like when he kind of meets, Or he kind of befriends Alexi a little more, and like is at his home, and he and they're kind of looking at the code. Very modest
1: circumstances in which he created this game, and then they they make some changes to it. That was and you kind of get you kind of like get lost
0: in the the fact that like Hank is a programmer himself. You know he's done this himself, but he's really a businessman because he owns this company. But you know when he has a moment with this guy who created this game and he loves and thinks is super valuable, it's like he makes a suggestion that makes the game better, and they like kind of. And they kind of fix that in the in real time. It's kind of a cool moment, and you know that's something that prior to that I didn't even really notice that when they're playing the game in the movie that like only one, one line is disappearing yeah. at a time when you line up the blocks, which is kind of wild to think about that iteration.
2: Yeah. Um,
0: but I, I I like this movie. Like I you know I feel like it's a little more. I don't know. I don't want to say silly or or you know it's a little more uh, heightened. Um, it's got this like espionage, like spy, like adventure vibe to it when he yeah. kind of they're going across the globe, trying to get these rights and people fighting over who signed what contract for what amount of money. Um, but, you know, I think Terry Edgerton a really good actor. I think he's kind of had a really a couple really great performances over the past, um, you know, like Blackbird was really uh, that series that he had with uh, Paul, Paul Walter Hauser on Apple TV. Plus was great last year, I thought. And uh, if anything, I feel like he looks a little too buff still in this movie but um i I didn't quite buy him as this guy i bought
1: him as the heightened version of the guy that you're talking about (laughs) but i will say this i mean you were talking about it being kind of heightened i will say that that would be like i would say the thing that kind of kept me out of this movie for for the most part was whereas in air i i was becoming more aware as it went along of why this deserves a movie you know and why the why focus on these guys yeah it's like right um i kept thinking in this movie like i i, I honestly i think it starts off wrong or something it like starts off with this insanely heightened acting between Taryn edgerton and this i don't even know who the guy was in the office that he's talking to that but it's like the, the, they're setting he's up the partner. story Maybe it's his partner, but it's like the... Oh, oh no, no, the the banker, the financer. Oh, okay. okay, but like, yeah, yeah. right, right, because the guy's asking him, he's he's asking for more money when the guy wants him to pay, pay off right. on the, the money that got forwarded. It's just, I, I mean, again, I don't think there was anything, it it's like, I, I don't think the tone was gelling. It almost needed to be more like, not to mention the name again and again, but it almost needed to have more of a Wes Anderson eye or a Coen Brothers eye or something for how those scenes would be played out because they were sort of, Cartoonish almost, but it, the, 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 I don't know. It, there was just something stylistically that wasn't quite clicking for me. And I also think it is an insanely complicated back and forth about. The, who's got the arcade rights, who's yeah. got the worldwide rights, Who who's lying about having the rights, who's telling the truth about having the rights. It gets to the point where they're fighting for these documents that I'm like, well, there's been so much skullduggery around these documents yeah, that why right. are you trusting that any document is going to be the, the document that suddenly everyone's going to go by? It, it's just like, I was losing track of the goal and of like what the feeling of accomplishment was going to be in this movie. And I actually was th- thought of another movie that's kind of related to Air. I thought of Argo. They really tried to fabricate a sort of ticking clock feeling at the end. And we've heard about how that great ending of Argo was also sort of not the way it really happened. Yeah. Um, created for a movie. This this one, the um, Hank Rogers himself said that when they were working on the movie, they brought them in to consult, and that he and the people that were really involved tried to. I guess Alexi, his partner, they tried to inject as much truth into this movie as possible. But he kind of made it sound like they ultimately stepped away, going, "Ah, what can you do? It's a movie." Uh, th- th- but he feels that they didn't really that they didn't really capture the the feel and t- the truth of what happened. You know, and he said mm. particularly the car chase is something that's completely invented; that nothing like that ever happened. Oh, wow. um, and I guess that I means like I can understand the needs of a movie, and I'm not even dinging this movie over much for that. That the, you know that scene was whatever. It's just that I do have this thing in the back of my mind about anytime something's based on a true story, but it's not really the story. I, there's a part of me that's like, why? What are you doing? Like, there because even a heightened silly movie like this, people feel like they saw what happened. I mean, I'm not saying audiences yeah. are dumb. I'm just saying if it's a story that hasn't been told. And and you're like, no one's told this story. Let's tell that story, but let's not really tell it. There's a part of me that like goes, I, I get a little glitch in my head. There's a bad line of code for me <laughs> of like, well, what are we doing here then? If it's if it's if you're not trying to make it as true as it can be. I, but then again I get the needs of a movie and many of the movies most of the movies we know of that are supposedly based on true events have been turned into something um something so different so and you know it's not like I didn't enjoy the intermittent moments during this movie like the scene you talked about Steve may have been my favorite uh yeah. the scene the coding scene back at the apartment um and yeah. I did find myself like being drawn at times to Taryn Edgerton's like screen presence. But there was something about him that I never quite, he seemed like a young guy playing a slightly older guy, or like you said, a a buff guy playing a slightly more nebbishy guy. And it never quite clicked for me. And I also think this movie kind of fell flat on its face whenever it tried to get into his personal life, which again, is the sort of stuff that they kept out of air that made it feel like it was so focused. I don't think this movie, I think this movie should have had the confidence to realize that when they try to get those heartstrings pulled, it feels a little bit obligatory or disingenuous or something i don't know um yeah so so like you know i didn't i didn't like dislike or hate this movie but i did i did find myself like having to constantly make myself stay interested because the stakes seemed not not just low but also like confusing like what are they hoping to get out of this meeting they so they now want the arcade rights but someone else has the handheld rights or you know um Despite the fact that some of the actors do some some fun things along the way, um, yeah. getting getting to that point, it, yeah, it just kind of left me cold because I wasn't emotionally hooked by it. What would you think of it overall, Ronald?
2: Um, the thing that, that that you're talking about is literally what happened to DeSantis in Florida. Like it, they, he thought it was one thing, <laughs> and then in the end, it wound up being something different once he got it. Yeah. But anyway, I I thought it was muddy. It was mu- it was a muddy movie that probably would have served us better as like a four part series, like a four part half an hour series Um, that could have been. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of think it even would have been good if they would have had like an eight bit thing with each <laughs> person, each group. To explain like what what their role is and like what their
1: context is. No, I think you're right.
2: And the documents, like, like literally the rights, the rights in their hand. And then every time somebody lost it and then it would go down to the person that had it and then it would go back. That would be easier to understand than what this movie was trying to do towards the end. I was so fucking confused at that (laughs) part. Like, I was like, what? Like, just simplify it. I didn't really think it needed all that. And right. this is a real big part. Like the Nintendo thing was Ouch. super downplayed. Like I used to test video games, man. Like Nintendo is stingy. They only want their first party games, right? So to... here's how here's how stingy they are. Um, how the stingy Switch, are they? The Switch is the first time that they really open the market up to third party games online. Like the marketplace, it's mm-hmm. the first time they did it and think about how long games have existed on nintendo and how long the internet's existed while it existed for like 20 25 years and they never gave third-party companies access to like sell on their system till the switch so it's like you know they they downplayed the shit out of that and i know that that like it's just a blurb in the little story that they're telling but it's huge it's huge what they did with nintendo it's huge that that was used as a way to distribute it and they just kind of shit on it and gave it like a five second blurb at the end when he put he gave the system to the guy at the end and with the ticket the changes like like i i get all that but like they he must have been that that convinces me that he must have been an incredible like charismatic person to convince these people to do that. And it was just kind of handled like, he was just like, oh, yeah, well, you've made exceptions. He's like, oh, that's pretty funny that you knew that that was a thing. Well, I mean, you I know, mean,
1: Steve, st- Steve, you were mentioning how good Matt Damon was in that role, basically, in yeah. air, of the guy yeah. who's running around, trying to keep the deal together that hasn't even gotten started, and he didn't even really have... I mean, it's a very similar sort of... But similar, but different thing, where it's like, there isn't really a deal. This guy's trying yeah. to make something happen and keep parties fluid around him so that he can get this thing going. I just never felt like I hooked into what we were supposed to think of Taron Edgerton. I knew what we were supposed to think of Matt Damon. I knew there were scenes where we were supposed to see that he does have this gift of like convincing people and bringing them on and and reading people, you know, yeah. and it comes through in a couple of key moments. But I didn't feel like Taron Edgerton's character outside of again, I think he did a fine job. I didn't think that the movie gave him many scenes where he really hooked me. What I what I think that his best moments were more the moments where he was kind of like, wait, what the hell's going on here? <laughs> wait, where, where yeah. does he keep running off to? I thought he was did a good job with that stuff. Um, yeah. Uh, but no, I think that one other thing this movie did too. Was that you mentioned the kind of importance of like Tetris. I do think that when it gets to the end, maybe I had just seen Air, but when it gets to the end, I was like, "Hey, Tetris, that's impressive." But those aren't Air Jordan numbers that you're putting up at the uh. end. <laughs> right right, right. like 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 lifetime uh, downloads or something i don't know it was some something in the millions but i was like if those were air jordans if tetris was air jordans it would have been four billion downloads (laughs) no um but i did think like i never thought about why the music in tetris is this vaguely russian sort of boat song kind of uh uh uh, i you know never had occurred to me why that imagery was part of the the you know the the iconography of the game but um no you know i mean i think this is more of a you know back to our old schedule our old uh scale this is a wait for it for me but it's on streaming so you don't really have to wait for it yeah you don't have to wait (laughs) don't prioritize it over other things you might watch instead but but if you're curious about it i would say yeah watch it and satisfy your curiosity but i you know i find it kind of be tonally um muddy is a great word ronald
2: so muddy (laughs) Oh <laughs> money. So, uh, what have you guys been watching? You guys watch anything since we last recorded? Has anybody watch Swarm? Yeah. watched Swarm? Yeah,
0: Swarm Yeah, no. How was that?
2: What do you think, Ronald? A clusterfuck. That show but, was a clusterfuck.
1: But like, and but I mean, like, it doesn't seem like it's well trying... acted. Yeah, it's a very well it's... acted
2: clusterfuck. Was I supposed to okay. sympathize with this character? I don't think
1: so. Okay. Okay. Um, I mean, I think you were, I think you are, but I think you're supposed to see their, their humanity, maybe, but not sympathize with them. You know. Yeah,
2: I think that it feels like the problem is, it feels like Steve. You know the, the what was the season that people didn't really like. I
1: was going to say this. Take one of those weird episodes of Atlanta yes. that had none of the yeah. characters in it and and then blow it up into seven episodes. Yeah. And then give one of those episodes over to its own version of one of those weird Atlanta episodes <laughs> that, that is separate from the tone
2: of the show. A but box in a box, man. It gets weird. It but gets I've a... heard people talk about
1: that episode, Ronald, episode six, and miss uh-huh. what was happening there. Like I think what was happening there was it was actually kind of interesting, and what they did with that episode was actually kind of interesting in a meta mm. sense. But I didn't think that they nailed the tone of like a true crime show no, as much as they not did. At like, all. and it, because you don't focus on a character the way they focused on that no. investigator. But um, I do think that was an interesting angle to take. But no, I think you you might be right, Ronald. Throughout the show, every episode had seen a scene or scenes that were really well done. So it bad, had that kind so of bad. Donald Glover, the House of Glover, sort of feel of like well photographed interesting intentional decisions that are really interesting but then it would yeah it was sort of like i don't know there was something vaguely uh dissatisfying about it when it got to the when it got to the end
2: 100% there's a version of this that i would have been so for like a, a black woman like who's a serial killer and, but also uh, commenting and,
1: on the whole the whole uh, beehive sort of thing The is, beehive, yes it was, was good like toxic fandom uh yeah, know, showing yeah. somebody murdering people because they like tweeted something nasty about this beyonce stand- standin in character
2: yeah it just but, it just felt like it was like not good enough in that way um but it was shot on film it looks unreal at some scenes uh but Dominic Fishback is a yeah, is a incredible. force in this man, and who's but the woman the sh- that co created it and and wrote a lot of it? Um, oh yeah, she was a writer in Atlanta. Yeah, she uh, was.
1: Uh, I mean, people keep talking about it, and myself included, as a Donald Glover project. But you know, it has her involvement just as much, if not more. Um, but you're right, yes. Ronald. There there is something kind of exciting about the notion of just oh yeah, a, a a black woman serial killer. You don't really see that that much in life or in fiction um so it's an interesting thing to take on and i actually do think that some of the stuff they do with the toxic fandom stuff is like it's well observed yeah Yeah. um but i don't know quite what it amounted to i think that's a big problem and i've seen other people have that problem with this it's like you don't mind being put through this sort of unpleasant show if you feel like it got you somewhere but it didn't really feel like it got to a real clear place um at the end but yeah you know interesting check it out though yeah
2: Definitely worth checking.
1: Like half-hour episodes, so it's really not too demanding on your time. Right.
0: right, right. I uh, want to mention a documentary that I watched. Uh, it's on video on demand. It's called. Uh, it's called I Got a Monster. Mm. Oh. Um, we we talked about the show earlier or last year, I guess. The We Own the City uh, HBO series with Very John nice. Barenthal. Yeah. Um, that was out. Basically, just about the, the Gun Trace Task Force in Baltimore City here where we live and just uh you know how corrupt they were and all the damage they did to the citizens of baltimore and to the police force and to the city in general but this is basically if you didn't watch that show and you want to kind of get an idea of what that story is about in in you know a really well-made doc uh this is this is the option that i would probably put you on to um I think this is a great documentary, um, just kind of an overview of what it was, what happened, what went wrong and, you know, the impact that it had on the city. And it's yeah. interesting cause it kind of takes the, as kind of like the, the guide through this doc is one of the lawyers, one of the prosecutors, um, for a lot of the victims of, um, of, uh, the task force and specifically, uh, what was his name? Um, Oh man, Ivan Bates is the lawyer that kind of tells this story or kind of guides through the story. But Wayne Wayne, I can't remember his last name. The character that John Barenthal plays in "We Own the City," the kind of ringleader of the whole thing. Um, it's just a crazy story, man, and it's crazy that it happened here, and it's probably still some ripples of it happening, uh, which is sad. But uh, this is, yeah, this is available on video on demand. If you watched "We Own the City" and you liked it as much as I did, and just kind of want more information on it um from you know some of the prosecutors some of the people involved in it and that kind of went, were there um this is this is a big recommend for me and if you've never seen that series but just kind of want to learn about it or if it sounds interesting um i just it's a big recommend it's called uh i got a monster which apparently the title of the movie comes from you know a a, a line that wayne would say when he'd call up you know his people that were in on these crimes with him when they would basically come upon, Mm. you know, a drug dealer or somebody they were arresting Mm. that they were going to then rob, you know, behind the scenes, you know, at their, in their car, in their home in their person, whatever, you know, he would basically call these people in and be, and he would basically like, I got a monster. And that that's when they knew it was like a big deal. And they would then like all hands on deck to do the crimes that they did that hopefully they'll be in jail for a long time for. Um, do you think, do you it think is. it ever
1: got confusing? Cause he had just bought an energy drink and he called to tell him.
0: <laughs> it could that, have uh, been, I mean, the timing timing was, was probably pretty good for the yeah. peak of monster energy, but um, and he seems like a monster sort of guy. Like I could see him, you know, oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. And yeah, Barenthal is incredible in that series, uh, you know, as, as this character, but um. Yeah, I know somebody posted this on Twitter I didn't even know this movie existed but uh
1: no i'm I'm curious about it it was it was yeah it, it was it
0: was it was really really good um and yeah a nice companion piece of the show
1: I mean um, I might honestly like a drier more uh uh linear uh version of that you know like right. be honestly, because I feel like the show jumped around in the timeline so much that i I felt like it was hard to get a purchase but
0: right 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 yeah no so that's that's, that's really the only other thing i i really watched this past week but uh ron was there anything else that either of you guys wanted to mention nothing else for me all right um moviesmovie.com is the website uh pod.link slash moviesmovie is a maybe a better website uh that you might want to go to if you want to listen to episodes or find links to subscribe to the podcast uh on an on a audio platform of your choice and uh youtube.com slash moviesmoviepod uh right, Ronald. Movie, movie podcast. Podcast. Okay, I always get the YouTube. Yeah. One, but I couldn't tell uh, if he was paying attention to you, Steve. I didn't know if he was going to yeah. pull that one. Man, out. I was like, uh, you yeah, me for a second. Yeah, I know. I, I wasn't <laughs> trying to. Sorry. Uh, but yeah, just uh, you know, if you <laughs> want to watch the video elements that we put together that Ronald kind of cuts together, you can find them on YouTube. Um, but if you subscribe to the podcast anywhere, you know, whether it's there or on a podcast uh platform. If you can leave a review or a star rating or if there's an option to share it with someone that you think might enjoy the show, uh, we'd really appreciate anything that you might be able to do like that. And uh, if you want to listen along next week, Ronald's pick for required viewing, once again, uh, it's, it's called Patan. Yep. It's on Amazon Prime. Uh, You can watch that this week with us and hear us talk about it next week. And then uh, I don't know what's planned for next week. Are we recording next week, John? Are you going to be around? Um, What's the plan? There is, there is still a chance because it's, it's our spring break and there's a chance
1: that there's a last minute thing that might happen. So probably not going to be out of town, but there's still a chance
0: that something might happen. Okay, So we may or may not be back next week. Likely (laughs) that we will, but if not, it'll be the week after that. And uh, you know, we'll be talking about some other new releases. Um, But again, Hit up that Amazon Prime if you want to do the required viewing with us. Um, If you guys are good, I'm good. Um, We'll check you out next week or maybe the week after. Yes. It'll be a surprise.
1: Good to keep them guessing sometimes.
0: (laughs) But, (laughs) But as always, you've made our day. Thanks. Bye.